I'm Matt Swain, and you're listening to the Reimagining Communications podcast, where we discuss the opportunities and challenges facing companies on the road to optimizing their communications for the future. Today, I'm joined by Tom Dionisio, Executive Vice President of Technology and Transformation at Southern New Hampshire University. Tom, thanks for joining today. Well, thank you, Matt, for the invitation. It's a pleasure to speak with you today about some of the things we're doing here at Southern New Hampshire University and changes throughout my career. So I'm looking forward to the conversation. Excellent. So let's come back to SNHU in a minute. You retired from your role as a partner, managing director, and CIO at the Boston Consulting Group in 2015. I think you were there 16, 17 years. And and you held senior IT positions at IBM and Optima Healthcare before that. I mean, the fact that you graduated with a degree in management information systems in 1976 is impressive in itself. Sure. So, you know, I think about my career as spanning kind of three areas. One is software development in the early days, you know, in in the late 70s. We didn't have the specialization that you have today. So the the good news was you had to learn a little bit about everything and you had to be able to do everything as a, quote, tech person of the era. And I learned a lot in doing that and spent most of my time developing healthcare systems in hospitals. I moved into the vendor space and learned a lot about what it was like to be on the other side, servicing people who were using technology and and advising them on the use of technology. And then the last part of my career with BCG was really involved with global technology, how people would use technology to drive digital transformation on a global scale, how companies thought about that, and how we could go about teaching them and helping them to achieve a better return on equity through the use of technology. And for much of my career, I've been focused on fixing broken IT. So if if there is one aspect of my career that I maybe didn't set out to do but ended up doing was walking into companies that had broken IT and turning those things around for them and making technology an enabler and an asset for them rather than an obstacle to them achieving, you know, much of what they were trying to achieve. You're constantly in this mode of patching broken IT that, that was once probably pretty good, right? Yeah, for sure. Keeping up with technology was a major problem for just about everybody in the industry. As it started to move at the speed that it was moving, companies would get bits and pieces of it, but would have a difficult time keeping up with overall architecture, a way of keeping it all knitted together in a logical sequence of things that delivered really on the business value. So the fragmentation that most companies experience either through the lack of skill or the generations of technology they had installed and found themselves hand-strung with how to get out of that. So a lot of companies were stuck in old technology and blending of new technology. And for the most part, it it often didn't work that well. So if we take your time at BCG, I mean, you were client-facing at times, but you were also managing a team of 300-plus professionals providing technology services across 75 offices in 45 countries. And my guess is when you started in that role, there weren't 75 offices. How did you manage the technology decisions through that rapid growth of the organization to enable best-in-class internal and consultant-to-client communications over that period of time? So for sure, when I started at BCG, I think we were just about at 30 offices in maybe 35 countries or something like that. And we had rapid growth. BCG was approximately a $500 million company at the time. And when I left, it was breaking $3 billion. With such a distributed workforce and such a distributed number of, of opportunities to do things, 
The key was to enable the individual countries to work, but work within a set of guidelines, developing a culture around innovation that was not people running off in different directions, but people running off in a common direction. And I think for us at BCG, it was developing a culture of innovation and then a culture of shared values that allowed us to keep all of the technology decisions happening in the different parts of the world engaged with each other so that they could all talk and they could all move in a consistent and parallel direction with each other. It was certainly a time of, of very rapid growth in the industry. When I started at BCG, we were still doing slides on acetates and overhead projectors. So you can get a sense of how much things changed between then and when I left when obviously things had exploded in the tech side and equipment availability and software and things like that. So it was certainly a challenging and exciting time to watch that evolution take place and be riding that curve all the way up. Well, and also being in that position where you were dealing with the headaches of a transition to a mobile workforce and other things that I'm sure would have required a lot of technology decisions and implementing kind of uh, the BCG uh, approach to how to deal with that shift in the market. Well, I think for sure BCG is today about 14,000 people and there are 14,000 mobile workers. They spend pretty much no time in the office. So enabling the mobile worker and enabling the collaboration of workers across different parts of the world was key to BCG's transformation and success, without a doubt. And people wanted technologies that enabled them to connect real-time and not real-time and enable them to connect with each other and to sources of information and repositories anywhere, anytime. And of course, back in the day when that became, quote, advanced, it was dial-up communications. And I remember the days of running to the airport and trying to find an open payphone where you could connect the RJ11 jack into your computer and hopefully, even though you were somewhere out in the world, maybe in Asia Pacific, dial back to the US to a modem bank and get your information. Of course, things changed rapidly you know, over that period of time and keeping up with what people wanted and what was available was very important. But the, the key to success, I think, was a term we coined, which is you know, be brilliant at the basics. So while there were a multitude of opportunities of things to do, the key was to be brilliant at the basics, to make sure that the things that people had, the tools that they had in their hands were not just easy to use, but were brilliant. They worked you know, easily, simply, and all the time. And I think that was really the key to the success of technology at BCG was focusing on being brilliant at the basics and then adding some sizzle on top of that. So Tom, when you were consulting for these Fortune 100 clients at BCG, how did you navigate conversations with companies that couldn't get out of their own way? You could tell that there was a technology train wreck coming or an advance in technology that they're choosing not to buy into. I think you saw companies on both sides of the spectrum. You saw those that were highly successful in adopting new technologies and sensing where the market was going for themselves. And then you saw companies that were convinced that their technology was the, the technology of the day and was going to be the technology of the day for the next 20 years and didn't sense the, the changing demand, technology abilities, and, and desires that people were going to want in their communications landscape. 
So we think back to the days of voicemail, if you will, where the predominant means of communicating was voicemail. And you would run to some phone to try to pick up your voicemails from the last 12 hours and hope your mailbox wasn't full. And that gave way to cell phones. But still, voicemail was, was the predominant way of communicating with people. And we certainly have seen and consulted with various smart device companies, and you've seen them yourselves, the ones that have come and gone and that have been deconstructed by others that were thinking out of the box where some of these companies just refused to think out of the box and were convinced that, I don't know, things like keyboards would be around forever, that no one would ever want a device, as an example, without a keyboard. I think the devices and the modalities have changed rapidly and will continue to change. So I think the key right now in the communication space is how will those modalities and devices continue to change? Of course, today, we don't have voicemail, and we have it, but no one uses it, right? And even email, right, is really yesterday's news and has given way to you know, all kinds of social-based capabilities that companies are using to speak not only to each other, but to their employees and customers. So I think that the companies have to abandon the old and adopt the new and understand where their employees and customers are going because as the workforce gets younger and the customers get younger, these are the kinds of communications and solutions that folks are expecting. So certainly it's changed rapidly and I think it's going to continue to change rapidly and it behooves companies to stay very abreast of what's happening in that space and prototype and experiment and find that their customers and employees likely are gonna respond in ways they had never imagined. So you retire from BCG, but you're holding a position on the board of Southern New Hampshire University at the time, and you decide to resign that board position to help tackle a digital transformation challenge the university was facing. Can you provide some background and context on that? Yeah, sure. So I'll tee that up by just a brief history of SNHU. So, you know, SNHU had an undergraduate campus of about 2,500 students up in New Hampshire and, and was very traditional sort of undergraduate business school. It was requested by the military where SNHU had a, a pretty good relationship if they could teach a course somehow online. Of course, we didn't call it online at the time, and we used to call it like correspondence. But it was, in fact, burgeoning on the era of dialing in and using some sort of connected device, which at that time was a desktop PC, to actually take a course. And SNHU took that challenge on and began building an online school. And that began to expand. So what happened is all of a sudden SNHU saw the opportunity to move into the online space and to reach people way beyond its borders. As we know, most schools kind of reach an area of a couple hundred miles of their campus. All of a sudden, SNHU was using a technology to, to have deep reach into parts of the world and parts of the country that it could never otherwise reach. At the same time, as the digital capabilities evolved, it was enabling them to deliver a richer experience. So this combination of richness and reach all of a sudden moved higher education into an area that it had never been before. And initially, of course, it was looked upon as maybe that's not real education, but, but now today, with over 150,000 learners, higher online education is something that's very well respected and accepted on equal footing with traditional university degrees. And we continue to see that space expand almost on an annual basis. Today, SNHU is the largest non-for-profit 
online university in the country. We're graduating about 25,000 students a year and bringing in roughly 20 to 25,000 students a year. So you can imagine the amount of churn that that happens. I'm drawing parallels to your time at BCG and the growth that that organization underwent, comparing that to what you're talking about here at SNHU. Has that rapid growth experience from the past helped facilitate the the decisions that you're making in how to implement technology and and continue that digital transformation at SNHU? I think without a doubt, Matt. What happened at SNHU was we had a small traditional university and all of a sudden it had 100,000 students and its processes, its systems were not capable of handling that kind of growth and responding to the kinds of things that those online students wanted. So we were challenged with the idea of rebuilding the technology stack from the bottom all the way to the top, making it uh, modern, agile, and flexible, leveraging the cloud, and moving SNHU rapidly from where they were to a platform and a set of frameworks that could support it going into the future, because its aspirations are to grow to 250 to 300,000 students. So... We did that uh, over the course of about three years, which is almost unprecedented in the industry with the kinds of investments we've made. And we've put in probably somewhere in the area of $50 million to do that. But we've done amazing amounts of compression with that. And it was the experience of using and and installing large global-based enterprise systems and getting the people here that were accustomed to doing that to move the university at a rapid pace through that space. And as these online experiences get richer and richer, it's our belief that the traditional education will fall by the wayside. Now, most traditional educators won't believe that today, but they will be deconstructed, we believe, over the next five to 10 years. And we're not likely to see traditional universities in the same way we have, but rather they're going to be much richer online experiences, because not only will the online experience be much less expensive, it will be a better experience. It'll be far richer than it was today. That person that takes ancient civilization will have a pair of VR goggles on, and they'll be touring the ruins of of Europe, looking at the actual sites versus reading about them in a textbook or looking at pictures or or videos. So the opportunity for richness and reach is really driven by technology, enabled by technology today. And SNHU is at the forefront of trying to leverage that and really introduce a whole 22nd century, if you will, learning experience that we believe people are not just going to want, but are going to expect. So essentially, you're helping SNHU reimagine higher education, but also set the bar for what higher education becomes. I think that's an accurate representation of what we're doing here. And that's really our goal. And we're not afraid to destroy the current way we do things in favor of where we think things are going to be, not next year or the year after, but in five to seven years. So Tom, looking forward, what key attributes will define a next generation CIO? I think that today's CIO and certainly the next generation CIO needs to be first and foremost a business person and not a technology person. I mean, they can go and get the technology assets they need to deliver on the the kinds of technologies and systems, but they need to be the business person sitting at the table in the executive suite, and they need to perform well at that to understand the customer 
in this case, the student or the learner or the B2B customer. You know, it's by understanding the customer and what the customer wants and translating those needs into what we could get digitally and deliver digitally for people that will bring the CIO to the level and involvement in the strategic planning of the organization that they should be. There's nothing that SNHU does today that doesn't involve technology or that is that enabled by technology. And I would contend that's true of almost every industry and discipline that we could think about. And everybody is going to be deconstructed in their industry if they don't keep up with where the technology is going. So it's not just about replacing systems. It really is about reimagining how we use them and what the customer experience is in front of them. If we need to make it a little more difficult even for us to do, do something, but, but by doing so, make it easier for the customer, then that's where we need to be. So I think it's really core to the reimagining of systems to be transforming the work process and the workflows and the customer experience, in our case, the student experience associated with those services and the technologies that support those services. It is really thinking as a business person and blending that strategy of where your business is going, what your customers need and want, what the demands are in your market with the technologies that are available today that could be blended in and deliver a richer experience with, with deeper reach even, similar to what we're trying to do here at SNHU. Does a next generation CIO require a different mix of education than what today's IT degrees are focused on? Well, I think like any industry, I think there are opportunities to be very tactical and to be very strategic. And certainly, I would contend that the CIO of today needs to be going much more down the MBA track than they do down the you know Masters of Science track, if you will. Not to say that those people who go down the science track and those engineers are incredibly important and brilliant people. But I think the CIO of today needs to understand, again, the business and where it's going. They need to understand technology at a deep level. They need to understand finance. They need to understand markets. And best of all, they need to understand strategy and how all of those things intersect. For instance, one of the things that we're doing here and we're bringing to the business at SNHU is if we look at other industries and what we see is that everybody wants everything custom to the way they want it. So even in the education industry, we're seeing that the demands of learners, and we don't even call them students anymore, we call them learners, are going to be to curate their own set of curriculum so that you no longer come to SNHU and choose from one of 40 or 50 programs. You will curate your own custom program based on a set of courses, but also a set of experiences and badges and certificates and projects that will all come together in a way that delivers to you a credential that represents your, the level of competency you have across a number of domains. So it becomes about establishing your credibility across domains and your competencies more than a degree. You want to hire somebody who has a certain level of skills and experiences, and that's what you're looking for, not hiring somebody because they, quote, went to a big-name university, as an example. So curating that custom pathway is no different than the curation of custom content or custom experiences or custom products. 
And higher ed being the, the industry that tends to follow, if people don't recognize that, they're going to get caught behind when schools like SNHU who recognize that today begin evolving programs that offer these custom capabilities. And I think that thinking is the kind of thinking that the modern CIO needs to have. What's going on across other industries that should be adapted in my industry or will change the way we think and the things we do? I was thinking as you were going through that about gamification. And frankly, I was thinking actually back to my own credit sheets where I had this really archaic four to six point font page and I was filling out how many credits I got for each category and then adding it up myself to figure out where I was short. So is there a gamification component to the future of crediting systems where you actually are receiving badges or getting stars for completing different categories and it can show you how you compare to your peers or it can show you where you stand relative to getting that degree? Well, we're looking at a lot of different experiences. It's certainly gamification of the learning experience is a huge opportunity today, and we think is very much going to be a part of the future. But without a doubt, your children and, and my grandchildren will learn through gaming. They're doing it today. So gamification, we think, will play a big role in it. But aside from that, more directly to your question, we call it competency-based education. We are trying to get you to achieve or master a series of competencies. And we're going to take you through a series of tests and experiences and, and learning content that hopefully allows you to master that competency. And then we're going to check that competency. And where you've achieved those competencies, we're going to give you checkbox or credit for that. And where you haven't quite achieved them, we're going to reroute you to another experience, right? A different kind of learning. It could be a video. It could be a project. It could be a reading. It could be a, almost a mini internship, as an example. It could be a discussion where you're able to attain the achievement of that competency. So I think directly answering your question, yes, the approach is to curate dynamically, not just at the beginning when you start, but dynamically throughout your, your learning career here, where you need to go and where you need more time and where you need less time. So we're also going to try to maximize both your time and your cost and give you the richest set of skills that you can have leaving, you know, when you leave SNHU. And what are you doing for those students who choose to come on campus and still prefer the traditional education? Can you speak to the ways that you're reimagining the campus for those that prefer that in-person experience? Sure. So we call the in-person experience the coming-of-age experience. And there's no doubt that we all learned in college as 18-year-olds a lot more outside the classroom than we learned in the classroom. And we still think there's a place for the coming-of-age experience. However, the cost of traditional campus-based education is almost out of reach for people. So what do we do with the campus? Well, we, we reimagine it in a way that has never happened before in the United States, which is that we remove the time dimension to the learning. We remove the concept of a term. We remove the concept of an eight-week class or a 16-week class. And we provide a bunch of opportunities for students to learn. And those could be experiences. Those could be projects. They could be long projects, short projects. They could be classes. They could be three-day classes. They could be 
two full-day classes. They could be eight-week classes. Any combination of these things allows us to build a, a CV, if you will, for a person that's not about them, but it's about the skills and competencies that they have. And when we remove the time dimension from that, the concept is to say, we want you to leave SNHU with a credential, whatever we might call it at that time. We don't think it'll be called a degree that says, Matt Swain has all of these relevant skills that can be applied to practical situations, uh, whether that be technology and industry, soft skills, hard skills, whatever that might be. And we're going to let Matt work through that as quickly or as slowly as he wants. And he's going to spend less time in some places and more time in others. But the intensity of that learning experience is going to be significantly more efficient than the learning experience that exists today. And that will fundamentally deconstruct the way we do traditional on-campus learning in ways that people can't imagine. And those who aren't already going there will find themselves out of business in this particular industry, you know, within 10 years is our prediction. So independent of, of industry, I know we were talking a lot about higher ed in this, in this session, and this is really exciting. But if you look across all markets, higher ed or otherwise, what technological advancements are you seeing today that you think will have the greatest impact in the future? It's hard to have a discussion about future technologies today w without the mention of artificial intelligence and machine learning. And it was only the advent or the advance of those technologies that enabled a bunch of things that you and I are using today. If you remember just 10 years ago or less, we were able to buy uh, automobiles and we could have voice commands on things. And, and none of them work particularly well, as you might expect. Today, they're actually conversational. So, you know, the, the advancement from voice technology, which was never very good, to conversational voice has enabled all of a sudden this explosion of voice controls, right? And even today in, in our call centers, we measure the inflection of people's tone when they call in, and we gauge from that how happy or satisfied they are with the experience they're having with an admissions counselor or a student learner or you know anybody they talk to here. So I think the combination of machine learning and artificial intelligence is enabling things like deep, rich conversational voice, and it promises to change everything we do in, in ways that we can't even think of today. It's going to give us better, richer experiences that are more efficient, that are faster. We see rich learning experiences with interacting with machines, incredibly intelligent machines, nevertheless, but machines. Today's average high school student does his homework with three devices, right? A Google Assistant, an Alexa, and, and maybe, you know, an Apple Watch or something. So we do think that machine learning is creeping into helping to develop not only the course content, but the navigation path that the learner is going to take through it. And while bits and parts of that have been evolving for 30 years, it's really just now beginning to become mainstream and the advances in the compute power to drive that at the level of sophistication that exists today is really going to fundamentally change everything that every industry looks at. And, and any CEO today that doesn't understand that their industry is enabled by technology, no matter what that is, whether that's a service or a product, is going to find themselves either out of a job or out of a business within the next 10 years. Tom, thanks for great insights today. Matt, you're very welcome. It was a pleasure speaking with you, and I appreciate both the invitation and the time. Excellent. 
Well, I'm Matt Swain, and you've been listening to the Reimagining Communications Podcast. If you like this episode and think someone else would too, please share it, leave a review, and don't forget to subscribe. To learn more about Broadridge, our insights, and our innovations, visit broadridge.com or find us on Twitter and LinkedIn. <laughs>